Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Cinephiles Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today on our show, we have Amanda Detmer. She's on hold right now as we chit-chat before we get her on. How's everybody doing? It's a beautiful start to the week. We're in sunny Southern California, so so it's wonderful out here. Always beautiful. Watching a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and it's really it's really driving me crazy because you cannot not take in some of those mannerisms and, and certain beliefs, <laughs> like we were talking about yesterday in the last episode. It's like a person came to the supermarket and they coughed into their hand, and then they went for produce in the market. You know. It's like, no, no, she gets a cough in her hand and then grab. <laughs> it's like, that, that's so curb your enthusiasm. But that's also very disgusting. You know, pandemic or not, or your universal tragedy, whatever you want to say. Apocalypse. Everybody out there, be careful. Take care of one another. Really, really watch out for each other. I mean, I think right now it's a, a little sociopathic to not really consider other people. This thing is not going away as quickly as, as it should be. So I want this pandemic to be over with. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop wearing my mask because I think that's here to stay. But I'm like, I want to hug people again and not feel like, hmm, that person just gave me something. Anyways, like I was saying earlier, let me digress. Watch some Curb Your Enthusiasm. What's really interesting is all the clips are, are on YouTube. It's really incredible. Well, let's not keep her waiting. Nobody comes on here to hear me blab. Let's bring in a man, man Let's give her a, a round of applause. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> Hey, Amanda, how are you doing? All I got to do is call someone and they clap for me. It's fantastic. <laughs> I know, right? That's, that's, that's the American dream. Can I just walk into a room and have people clap for me? Yeah. That's what I... <laughs> just everyone you... stop what they're doing and look at me. <laughs> I think that's... Uh, from L.A., I think that's everybody's dream. It's like, let me just walk into a room, uh, yeah. feel the praise, bring it on. <laughs> And that happens all the time. I oh, mean, it's it's know, such a consistent thing count. out here. I know people appreciate so, each other out here so much. <laughs> <laughs> They're so nice. So 
Well, you know, one, 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 one comment I always make to people is, you know, Los Angeles is a very nomadic city. And a lot of people come from like mm-hmm. Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, New Mexico, and they they put on the act of like being born in LA and they the persona that they think <laughs> people from LA act like. It's like, yeah, we're not jerks out here. Like seriously, <laughs> you know, because you know, I, I, you know, I think you went to grade school and high school with some. I mean, Sublime came from Chico, so I mean, there's some yeah. very po- famous and popular people in your schools. And if you acted like that, you would never make any friends. No, no, I, I mean. You know, one of our favorite famous Ticoans is kind of batting a thousand right now, not to give the wrong metaphor, but, you know, <laughs> we got to remember where we came from. You can't, you know, I don't want to comment too much because he is a beloved person and a very extremely talented and gifted athlete, but um, oh. it's important to remember the roots. Well, no. before we, I want to really talk about your 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 history and where you came from, and and you know some of the some of the things people absolutely recognize you from. But I do want to point, you know, well, I do want to point out one thing. I was watching a lot of your interviews last night, and uh, it was mm-hmm. Greg Kilborn, I believe, is that his name, Greg Kilborn, when he did oh, like the Late God. Late Show. Yeah, that, I was wow. I was so I was cringing so bad. Uh, you are such an amazing like person and interviewer or interviewee and you're doing such a great job, but there's a way to flirt. I don't think he had that one down. No, I mean, you know, honestly, I wasn't, I've never really been phased by that kind of stuff as long as it didn't make me uncomfortable. I just kind of felt sorry for him. (laughs) (laughs) Does this work? Does this work on women? buddy, but you're not getting any of this. No, not happening. Which well, then the, the later show, the, the the later host that took over that gig. I mean, he was amazing at uh, just mm-hmm. making people feel at ease. I mean, he's one of the most incredible Scots I've ever seen in my life. But he made made, yeah. made people feel very much at ease. But when I was watching that last mm-hmm. night, I'm like, oh my god! Like you you need you need your flirt, flirt game up by like 600 points because <laughs> this is yeah this is yeah. this is bad. <laughs> I was so nervous. I've never really? done anything like that, you know, never. Well, well, and I haven't really done much since. I've done a few, but it, I was just so nervous. I, I had butterflies in my stomach. I, I, I you know, I, 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 I actually, that's often how I felt, like a fish out of water most of the time that I lived in Los <laughs> Well, a lot of times yeah. on these shows, you, know, you you kind of black out, and then you remember what yeah. you said afterwards. Did that, did that happen to you? Oh, yeah. It's like... um. You, you, and then you replay every single thing that you said and did, and you're like, I'm an idiot. Why did I say that? You're so dumb. <laughs> and you just beat yourself up. I mean, I try not to do that anymore, but it, it, it's not easy because, I don't know, it's just so far out of my realm of comfort and understanding of even what I was doing. I tended to kind of put blinders on and just go where they pointed and did what I was told, you know? Right, and never right. really voiced whether I wanted to or not, because that didn't feel like an option, you know? Right. Well, you know, I, I, <laughs> I told you, we were talking before, we we're, were talking to each other, and, and um, you know, I recognized you from, you know, when we'll talk about this a little later on, like California Christmas, and I'm like, I, I know this person from somewhere. 
And then I looked at your resume, and I'm like, oh, oh, I, yeah, I know this person. <laughs> I, I know this person. I, I've, seen, I, I've seen every single one of your films in the, in the theater. So, I mean, that's back when we didn't have a streaming service. So, like, you went to the right. theater. To go, if you wanted something, you had to go to the theater, and then a year later, be released to, like, DVD or something. Yeah, it was a lot more precious, right? It was to be to be enjoyed and 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 taken care of and held and like petted and you know that was such a cool right. time. I'm so excited. I mean, I still actually can say I was on film, not HD. Yeah. You know, right? That's how old I am. <laughs> 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 I think a lot of us are that old, but yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get we'll get down because I, I want to talk to you about like a lot of like your your film history. But you, so you were born in Chico, which is not too far from us. Yes, well, um, I uh, was my grand well my my grandmother and her sisters yep. went to Chico High. So did my mother. My parents met at Chico State. So did my grandparents. My great grandparents came there, so I'm a third year Chicoan, um, and we are um, very, very proud of that. I'm proud of that to have a place called home. And in actuality, we moved away for a minute, and I was born. And I guess one day my dad said, my mom said to my dad, "Our kids don't know where home is. We got to go back." My brother was born in Chico, and he goes, right. "Okay," and he quit everything and he moved back to Chico and started farming for like. Five fifty an hour, and that was wow. all I ever knew. Yeah. Wow! Now, you know, I've talked to so many people from Chico, but I've never been there myself. What is what is good about Chico? What is what is what's like your top three things that you love about Chico? Well, Chico is amazing. The university, obviously, I went to Chico State as well before my graduate school. Um, the university brings a lot of urban young life and money into the town, um, which would normally be a very small, boring town. But the university adds so much life and, and you know, um, uh, shops and stores and, and brings all these young kids in and all this new energy. And um, right. then there is Bidwell Park, which is, probably is I think, second in size to Central Park that people right. don't even realize that um, maybe you spoke about the original Robin Hood with Errol Flynn was filmed in our beautiful Bidwell right. Park. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Park, and, and that's my favorite is Upper Park, where all the swimming holes are. And, hmm. um, uh, yeah, and I, I think my favorite thing is having been back for quite a while to raise my, my beautiful son, um, I'm just, I'm surrounded by people that have known me my whole life, and I don't have to guess how I have to act around them. I can just be me, and, <laughs> and that right. is not something I had experienced for a long time when I was gone for uh, 20 years, um, and that well, like has been said, the greatest joy. Well, like you said before, you're you're a generational Chicoan, so you know, I, you know, I, I would ask, when did you decide along the way that you wanted to be? an actress was it was it innate was it within your family or or did it just happen oh gracious i thought it was probably the worst idea i'd ever had but um <laughs> my brother not no, i'm not joking like the wor- this is the worst idea ever and right. um my big brother was really active in theater and at the time um and there is still is a tremendous amount of rich community theater that goes on there um at the time, it was absolutely the thing to do. 
and right. the cool people who did it, and the, they there was so much talent. And frankly, it was slightly competitive. I mean, we were hard on each other, but we did theater in the parks and Shakespeare in the Park. We did theater at Duffy's, our bar that we all loved. We did theater wherever pretty much anyone would let us, and including my dear friend's backyard. And that's a good story if you want me to tell it. We, we started theater I do. I also want to hear about theater in the bar because that reminds me of the Blues Brothers, where they're like they're doing like rawhide like oh. three thousand times in a row. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Oh my gosh, Mammoth. Mammoth was done quite a bit in that bar. Uh, really? <laughs> we did some Mammoth. Oh yeah, like um, probably mainly because most of the people that were in it never left the bar. So. Um, <laughs> What better place to do it now? <laughs> I'm, kidding. Lo- I'm kidding. Not really. I'm not kidding at all. Kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, K- kidding, kidding, not kidding. <laughs> not kidding, not kidding. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, Duffy's was, it's, it's a great bar. It's still there. Um, it's um, still owned by the same people. And wow. Roger, Roger Montalbano, who, owned, who owns it and owns it was an icon, is a Chico icon, and he decided, well, why not? It's my bar. I can do whatever I want. So um, hmm. even my father was in a play there, um, and my dad wasn't much of an actor. He was a singer, but um, my dad was in a play at Duffy's and had the time of his life. I doubt he remembers most of it, but um, he had a blast. So <laughs> um, he played a character who rescued my gun-toting brother, my actual brother, and they talk Southern like this, like I'm doing now. And I don't remember. He comes in with a gun and get your hands off my son. And in his, my dad was a cowboy. So in his authentic cowboy garb, you know, the hat, the chaps, the right. shotgun, probably real too. I'm sure it was real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, It'd be scary and, he brought in like a real gun. It's like, dad, we don't, we don't really need that. Uh, you you got to put that, that cowboy that. thing away for five seconds. Yeah, but he was like, nope, yep, got to have it. But gosh, with all the scratch now, we we never would do that. But that's, that was a long time ago, you know. We just right. we did whatever we wanted to do, and we didn't have a lot of rules. And um, I think one of my one of my first real full productions was there. And I don't know. I don't think this can get anyone in trouble. Statute of limitations. I was only eighteen, so. Um, just a bar, but um, I just did the show, and then I would leave. You know, I'd come in the back door, and I wasn't – everyone knew how old I was, and right. I wasn't allowed, obviously, to sneak drinks or anything, and it was handled very right. well. But I think in retrospect, that probably wasn't super legal. No, it, <laughs> it is, actually. In, in the state of California, you can actually <laughs> – yeah, you can perform and serve at a bar at the age of 18. You just can't drink the alcohol, which seems okay. like a torture. <laughs> it, it was. It was because let's be honest, I was in I was in college by then. I mean, I was college when I was seventeen years old. So yeah, but um, but I wasn't um, yeah, I wasn't much of a party animal until I was of age, and that is the truth. And then I was a party animal. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I went to college at sixteen years old, and and uh, I was a I was a, a, a you, I had, go ahead. No, I just say you beat me. No one beats me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just turned 16 as well, but you know, a, a lot of a lot of you know, I had older brothers, so 
though, you know, you want to copy your older oh. brothers. So, you know, I played a lot of golf and I had my hair long and I just drank a lot and I really enjoyed myself. But it was it was not one of those like upside, you know, not the, one of those like lift your legs in the air and drink out of a keg kind of drunk. So it was more like a casual, have fun and enjoy yourself kind of mm-hmm. kind of drunk. And then, you know, forget what you did until the next day. And you're like, did I wear a lampshade on my head? Hmm. Yeah, and see, and and Chico is the opposite. We were the number one party school in the nation when I was 19 years old. So, um, and I worked at the coffee shop, the only espresso shop that existed at the time, from five in the morning to 11 in the morning for all of my years of of college at, at Chico State, and I had to wait on all the dum dums who went out the night before. Um, and, you know, got completely wasted and then would hand right. me their mommy and daddy's credit card for their coffee. And I was like, you were named like the 17th most beautiful woman, uh, like, you know, I, I think it what 2004 or something like that. I, I can't imagine cool. the, the amount of harassment you got while serving people drinks. Well, it's funny you say that because I remember at one point I had a customer who, who later became a friend. They were older than me, and he said, I don't know why you work so hard to look so bad. We would wear granny dresses <laughs> and, like, no, like no shoes, you know, like like right. a bathing suit on for overalls. And we, our boss was too busy smoking weed to show up, so we ran the place. It was the best job in the world to call it. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, we actually kept the keys from him. So he wouldn't come take his money to buy pot. I mean, like, he'd be like, we have to pay for milk today. Like, knock it off. Like, stop. I, I worked this one job in Hollywood, and I, I won't say who it is, but I worked this one job in Hollywood, and everybody told me, like, you know, just remember when you go into his office, he, he smokes a lot of weed. I walked into his office, <laughs> and he literally had a trash bag from the bottom of the floor up <laughs> to his desk with, with weed. <laughs> I'm like, that's not smoking weed. <laughs> that is like Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> that is, that is, you know what I mean? Oh like that's, God, in, that's like I've never seen anything like this. Like you, there's no way you can consume this much weed in your life. Come on. Yeah, no, you and 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 again, welcome. You know that you got a very bird's eye view as to what it is like in Chico now, which is everyone <laughs> has so much weed, and you're like, and I don't smoke pot anymore. But, um, yeah. you know, a lot of my yeah. friends do. Uh, ooh, let me decline. Oh, I don't know who you are. Um, and, uh, you know, it, there's just so much weed now. And yeah. I think it's, well, it's still legal. not technically like, yes, it's legal. But you yeah. still think, do you need that much? I mean, really? I know. Are, are feeding our army of horses with marijuana <laughs> cream? I don't, well, I don't well, know. Well, I I was in Colorado and uh, as, as a, you know, I was, you know, I was well known in Colorado as, as part of, a, uh, you know, an influencer and, and I was a teacher out there. So, you know, it's a very small, it's a very small state. I mean, you, you have to be there to know that. And uh, I, I was one of those people that was really promoting the bill to uh, legalize marijuana. And they're like, I remember my students asking me and I had hundreds of students. They're like, well, you're a, you know, you're a very staunch non-drug user. Like what, I mean, I do drink, but you're a very staunch non-drug, I mean, not anymore, but you're a very staunch non-drug user. Why would you want promote this as a, a legal law? And I'm like, I think you guys are forgetting that 
in Colorado, you guys use a lot of methamphetamines. So I'd rather you smoke <laughs> weed than, than be doing yeah, methamphetamine. Right? So I think I think this will replace that. Look over here. <laughs> look yeah. over here. Look, it's a clown. It's a clown on my hand. It's a clown yeah. on my hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stay, away from, stay away from cocaine. Stay away from methamphetamines. You'll be fine with this little green plant. <laughs> you know? But anyway, let's, yeah. let's, 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 let's pure ourselves out of this ocean of conversation. So you're, you're inside uh, Chico, and, and like you said, you're doing plays over here at, at the bar that you, that you worked at and what have you with your father and other people that, that you know. Did you do commercials in Chico as well? No, I, you know, when I got started, it never occurred to me that I was going to do it for the rest of my life. So I did it because I, well, my first stage show was at Chico State. I had Mm -hmm. five lines. I walked on stage. I forgot two of them. And in the process, also, I had to pick up these tiny cups of pills. I was a nurse. And I picked right. them up, and they flew out of my hand, and my you could see the hair on my head shaking. The hair on my head was visibly shaking. And I came off stage, and everyone was like, oh, I'm sorry. That, was, that wasn't pretty. <laughs> and I was so sick. And so my brother at the time and I both had long, blonde, curly hair. Um, we look a lot alike. And I'm like, you can go on for me. You can play the nurse. You look just like me. Please don't make me go out there again. And so I certainly didn't think that I would keep doing it. And then I just did it and I did it and I did it. And by the time I felt like I was in, I still was not ready to say, oh, I'm going to do this for my life. It sounds weird, but I actually um, got a movie there in Chico that was a made-for-TV movie called Stolen Innocence. Tracy Gold was the lead. Calabro, Mike, his last name is Calabro. He was on he was on Melrose Place. Anyway, I did that, and um, I had already auditioned for New York University's uh, graduate acting program, and Mm I are you talking about Thomas Calabro? Thomas Calabro, that's it, Thomas Calabro. Yes, he was my later best friend, and I went to an open call in Chico. And no one went. I I couldn't understand why none of my friends went. I'm like, but we're actors. This is what we do. Why wouldn't you want to be an extra? And I ended up getting the best friend role. And they kept pursuing me to come to Hollywood. And I was like, y'all are nuts. I got into one of the best grad schools in the country. And you scared the shit out of me. So I'm going to go to school for a while longer and (laughs) just not do that right now. You work some some gigantic heavy hitters. I mean, for a person who's talking about being nervous Mm -hmm. and filming, what have you, it's Mm -hmm. not like you didn't work with some, like, you know, some really excellent people like, you know, Greg T. Nelson and what have you, or James Franco and what have you. I mean, these are, I mean, we're going to get to your future film productions and what have you, which are really, Mm -hmm. really big hitters and what have you. But how did it feel to go from, you know, I would say kind of like obscurity to just being rushed? Mm -hmm. Into the film industry. I felt rushed. <laughs> I felt <laughs> well, rushed. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's true. I was rushed. I, I, I'm so funny to hear you say those things. I, I really was greatly, you know, blessed to gain some confidence. And right. also, we had spent, I had spent 
more money. That, that my, not my money. My parents didn't have that kind of money. So I was in debt, oh, I don't know, $150,000 after grad school. Wow. So, um, like, every penny that I could get, and I still was hungry, and I still walked and didn't ride the subway, and it was tough. But I loved school, and it taught me to be resilient, certainly, right. and to know that regardless, I had chosen this path, and I had better get on the train and right. start riding it, or what was I doing? So that was more my mindset of, like, damn it, I'm doing this, and if you want to get in my way. So I was very determined as my cousin, Mark Detmer, who is hugely successful in the commercial industry world and owns the Rising Sun or owns part of Rising um, Phoenix Rising soccer team. Right. He said to me, Amanda, you've always been very tenacious. And I would say that I laughed, this was last week, and I laughed so hard because he's not wrong. I, I was tenacious. And and so when it started happening, um, I never thought to look around and stop and say, "Hey, are you are you driving this or are you being driven?" And I think I was right. being driven a lot. That right. is not great. So. Well, it seems like from 1995 to 1999, that roller coaster just really took off. Like it, it, it mm-hmm. looks like nonstop work from that point on. Yeah, it was. And then, yes, it was. And, you know, you can look back and say, well, I was offered this. And, you know, and that did happen in that time. The fact of the matter is the wonderful things I did were not blockbuster hits in the theater, weren't, you know, weren't what they were supposed to be. And unfortunately, you suffered the consequences of that. In other words, you're not held responsible. You're, 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 you're you know, it's, they, people like you for your performances and who you are as an actress, but if you don't have backing, if you don't have the fan base of, or the, the dollars to say, hey, this millions of people know who I am now, um, things can go back down, you know. And, well, I would, ar- I would and argue that, that a lot of the films that you, you're, you're in, a lot of films that you did were vehicles, for a lot of mm-hmm. the artists who are, you know, in film right now, mm-hmm. in order to become, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they could not have had the career they had right now without the films that you're in, just period. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's because usually those were the leads. Um, often, you know, you got to be the lead. And I'm the girl who got hit by the bus. And I'm, you know, the girl, <laughs> you know, that, that girl from Saving Silverman. It just, it just, and also... Like I said, you make choices, and there's a couple choices that um, I made based on my own um, comfortability that were meant to be for me as vehicles for me, and I said no because I didn't want to do certain things. Um, And and then now everyone has to do whatever. And I mean, I'll just tell you, so like teen movie, I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. not saying, you know, Anna is amazing, and that totally took her career off. There was a point right. at which I was being talked about, and I was not comfortable with this opening scene. My grandparents were still alive. Um, <laughs> my, you know, <laughs> I just, I just, I at that point, because I thought, you know, again, going back to my feelings when I left NYU, I'm going to do this, and I am, I refuse to compromise anymore of what I've already compromised. 
And mm-hmm. if I never work again, so be it. You know, like I've made right. it this far and and I really wanted to hold strong to that. And I was advised by a lot of people to do that. So it's tough. We all can tell our story, especially the people that I work with. They're a lot like me. We call ourselves the worker bees. We fill in the holes. You right. know, we, we're still standing. And and they could all we could all tell stories or we could just move on, you know. I just right. it's tough. There's plenty that, that happens that I could have done differently, but then where would my life have taken me? You know. Well, I imagine I imagine I mean, being Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I, I imagine being, you know, a sex symbol, you know, especially at that time that there would be, you know, a plethora of directors who try to take advantage of somebody younger and somebody who they, they believe is looking for a majority of attention because, you know, if you're in a bathing suit or, or what have you, or these magazine tops, you're known as a sexist mm-hmm. woman. I would, I, would, I would think that, especially at the time where we didn't have social media or iPhones, <laughs> that a lot, of these, a lot of these casting agents and what have you would be a little inappropriate. Well, I can tell you a story because he's, you know, a pariah now. I'll tell you one story, hmm. um, and I don't think it helped me at all. Um, okay. I did a movie called Boys and Girls for yes. Mr. Weinstein. Oh, and, God. And, and but this is what happened. So he, I had done this movie, and they wanted me to do another movie in more of a lead, right? Um, right. And so supporting, and he came up to me at the after party, and he had his arm around a couple of women, and he looks at me, and he goes, hey. I'd, I'd sure like to talk to you in a while upstairs in my hotel room. And I said, I bet you would, Harvey. Or, you know, I bet you would. Yeah. And I laughed. And his face went totally white and then turned red. And I thought, well, I guess we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're going to be calling me. And, you know, again, I just thought, well, that was the choice that I made. And did I know when I said it? No. But the minute I saw his face, of course, what the hell are you doing? What am I going to do up in your hotel room after the right. after party? You know, I mean, but I, that's, I think that's a little of the Chico in me, too. So I, I, was, I never felt desperate until, well, later in my career I did. But at that time I didn't. So right. I well, didn't he was, know how to understand I'm shocked that he survived that, you know, his entire, his entire life, you know, with like a – you know, Brad Pitt on his, on his shoulders and so many other people. And, but there were a lot of people yeah. that were complicit with him. And, and we don't need to continually talk about this dude. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, that was, that's scary. And you, may, you absolutely made the right choice. A lot of women would not have made that choice and, and would have been like, well, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he wants to talk to me about a role or would not pick up on those signs. Maybe it's, maybe it's your time at the bar. Maybe it's your time with your father and what have you. What do you, what do you think the influence was for you to be like, mm, no. Nah. I think I honestly, too, I mean, I, I thank you for the compliment. I never saw myself as sexy because I was not seen that way growing up. I was always kind of told I was kind of funny looking. And um, so, the, like, those things you saw, the magazines and that stuff, those were friends who made me do that. I, in fact, what, the Stuff magazine? I was triple that day because I just don't, I don't know how to take that stuff seriously. So that's why they kind of ended up doing like an editorial, more of like a character. Cause then I could get into it and have fun with it. But me as Amanda, like 
with my head hanging back and being just like, what? This is so ridiculous. And I just found it hilarious. And, and, um, and, but my friends encouraged me to do it because that's what you did then, right? right. That's what you did right. to get attention. And, um, so, uh, so thank you for that compliment. But again, I, I just, oh, I don't remember what I was talking about. I don't remember. What was it? You're right. I got off track. Uh, you, you, um, we were talking about Harvey Weinstein and the fact that you, you turned him down and where did you get that inspiration to, you know, be that right. strong and thank to, you. yeah. Thank you for leading me back. Um, so I think it came from that. My, my sense of self was not based in that. My sense of right. self was not based in wanting anything from me. Um, so I honestly approached them like I, I never could see those signs. I just ignored them. So I, right. I always felt like they were joking with me. So, you know, they, they're, not, they're not seriously doing this, right? And I think oh, no, that they're seriously doing it. <laughs> I think I just yeah, so, like, I sort of like... Yeah, it sounds like you were, like, personally naive, like, about yourself. And, you know, that might have been a saving grace. I think it saved my ass. I was very naive. And and I had been in such a safe environment for most of my life. Right. Those things didn't happen. So I didn't know what they – how to recognize that. And I think I avoided a lot because of it. And I think you're right. I was incredibly naive about a lot. A lot. <laughs> I find a lot of really beautiful women who were incredibly successful and their youth would be like, why would anybody find me attractive? And they just like focus on, on different things. And they're obviously beautiful, but they, they really don't see themselves in turn. Like they have almost like beauty dysmorphia. And then it, it's really mm-hmm. a saving grace for them because their personality just really shines because they really worked on everything else other than, you know, looks. Other than like, you know, the TikTok generation and what have you, I'm not trying to bag on anybody, but, you know, like I, I've heard a lot of women go like, well, I know I'm beautiful. It's like, mm, see, that's the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, my gosh, so it, it, even now you t- you're speaking about me this way, like makes me feel so funny. Because I will tell you another thing that I was told a lot when I didn't get things or when I was number two, which was a lot, is that I simply wasn't pretty enough. Um, that I was unconventional looking, and I wasn't pretty enough. That's why you didn't get it. And I was always told, and I was always, you know, my people, I had them for a long time, 15 years, both my manager and my agent. Um, and my manager at the time was John Carabino, who's quite a big deal, and my right. agent passed away five, six years ago suddenly, oh. and I had been in my entire career. Um, but you know, I said, you guys be honest with me. I can take it. And so when they said that, I was like, yeah, I know. Or really, you know, when I got saving, when I got yeah, when I got saving Silverman, I was at the gym and they said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm running. I got to lose a few pounds. I know I do. But I had been so astounded that I had gotten the part because I was told, and they actually comment on it in Boys and Girls, my weight, and right. I was 180 pounds. And wow. So I was so thrilled that I had gotten a part at what I what I knew and been told was an unacceptable weight. So I was trying to lose the weight, and they said, well, you need to get down because the studio called, and they have said that you are overweight and out of shape, and you have to lose seven pounds before you shoot. So that was like, oh, okay, well, I'm So, so you'd be 5'4 and 101 pounds? Mm-hmm, which wow. I was for the rest of the 10 years. I was 98 pounds. And then wow. I was told I was too skinny. 
so I was too skinny. What's wrong right. with her? So, right. <laughs> you, you, you know, I think these things, obviously, they can't talk to people like that anymore, and I am so gosh darn happy for that and so right. grateful for the young men. Oh, my God, I'm going to cry. I'm just so grateful that those things can't be said. But if anyone thinks they're not being said behind their backs or talked about, they would be mistaken. So. Right. It's I mean, there, I, I think I, I don't really remember her, her name, but she was in um, a lot of different films. She's the Australian actress, the blonde who, who um, you know, they always wanted her to be the fat comedian, like the, the, the heavy comedian. And she lost. Oh, you're talking. Uh, go ahead. You're ta- I know you're talking about, and, and it's going to come to me. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's going to come to right me. <laughs> it's going to come to me too. And I can I mean, look at my computer. But... famous and wonderfully talented but yeah she's incredible she's incredibly <laughs> skilled and uh, you know her own team told her like don't lose that weight you know keep that weight on it's one of your selling points and she's like um no no i'm gonna do what i want to do yeah. but but even even that that's kind of like a, a gaslighting perspective on how well, to get is. what you want yeah 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 and imagine imagine that imagine Imagine coming from Chico, California, and people coming at you from all sides after all you did was hunker down and basically train your ass off so that you could feel slightly better enough to walk into rooms. And then, you know, you're, you're, and I was a very immature, and I thought I was so grown, 28 year old. I was very right. immature. I'm still really immature. Um, I just know when to shut my mouth, but I still have thoughts and feelings. But, you know, I, I know I, I can't stomp my feet and cry, but, you know, I did probably a couple years ago. So it's taken a long time to – but you kind of do – you know what? You kind of want to stomp your feet and cry and go, what the, what the hell do you want from me? I don't – you know, it seems like everybody's doing okay. I'm making money. You're all happy, but you're constantly telling me that you want something different. So it's a tough road for all women. That's – Yes, I, I think this is why God didn't make me because I'd probably be in jail <laughs> right now because there's there's just there's just some things just would never be able to handle. Like my, I'm I'm not strong, um, but let's talk Final <laughs> Destination because <laughs> Final Destination was a was really a huge hit when it came out. I know you said like a lot of your, a lot of the films were you know it didn't really catch on, but that that movie literally made like like three movies in a row and then two new films after mm-hmm. that. Um, tell me about tell me about that experience. What? Uh, well, I had also, um, uh, gosh, what did I was I had done a um, pilot with F. Gary Gray, and it was the pilot that everyone wanted, and I was paid a small fortune for it. They don't do that anymore either. So, and I, my dear friend, James Roday, speak of friends, I don't claim a lot of people as dear friends. I have a lot of acquaintances, but James Rodriguez is now his name, and he's on A Million Little Things. And uh, he and I had met at at New York, at NYU. He was in the undergrad. And um, so I was so excited about that. And so this is my first memory, though, of Final Destination. And here I was in my first studio film, you know, and I am just living the dream. This is crazy. I, I, I'm so excited. I just, I'm, I have boundless energy even today. I come off as a bit of a nutcracker, but um, like a nut or butter. But <laughs> I'm walking, and the phone rings. No, 
somebody on set comes up to me and goes, I'm so sorry, Amanda. So I, that was the only pilot I'd ever done. And I didn't know anything right. about how this stuff goes down. And they said, I'm so sorry. And I said, why? And they said, oh, we heard you were fired today. I said, what? <laughs> and, I, I, and I just bent over and started crying. And not one person had taken the time for this little newbie to pick up the phone and call me themselves. It was in the Hollywood Reporter that myself wow. and, and, oh, her name will come to me too. You're going to die when I tell you uh, because uh, Braveheart, what's her name? Um, oh. Yes, she was my mother. You know what I'm talking about. My dad's yeah. favorite. Are you, are you talking about final, the actress in Final Destination? No. I'm well, you mean she played the mother? You, she made the movie, played the mother in Braveheart. Mother and my pilot. So anyway, we had been released. They had released every female character from the pilot. It wasn't like we did anything wrong. It just we're firing all the women, and no one right. who I had worked with, including my buddy James, and he still I don't let I don't let him live that down. Didn't call me. Just say, hey, hmm. this is what happens. It happens all the time. You know, I'm standing there in the middle of what's supposed to be the greatest time of my life thinking, what did I do? Why didn't anybody call me? And that betrayal was very hard for me to handle. It was really hard. So that was my first memory. Continue on to being one of the funnest movies to this day I've ever done. I mean, truly, truly so much fun. Um, I think the best story is <laughs> that I have is that we were – we shot all the plane stuff over the course of, like, three weeks. It was the biggest, you know, the most money spent. And it was – the plane was on a gimbal. So basically like a bucking bronco, right, but right, for right. an entire plane. And <clears throat> we're on this, and in the first 12 hours, all of the extras, and some of us start going, I don't feel so good. Well, no one had considered the fact that our brains were telling us we were in the air with all this turbulence. <laughs> Oh, I never even considered that. Uh uh. Everybody got so sick that first day. People were puking. We were like, oh my God, (laughs) these four extras were green. And we were like, you know, we've got to keep shooting. So the next day, everybody got Dramamine, and then everybody fell asleep. It was like, it was so crazy. That movie really really took off. How how did you feel when when that movie came out? And it really did get a, a very large reception because it was mm-hmm. it was a i would consider it a very different horror film than like jason and, and you know nightmare on elm street uh it, it was it was really kind of a yeah i would say more of a donnie darko where it really yeah. went into oh. the, the cerebral horror films go ahead yes oh it was so groundbreaking and you know the guys who had done uh x-files did this movie and the movie was made for I want to say thirty five million and it made a hundred and eighty million in the first weekend. Right. Wow. Um, I mean it was like huge and it, and you are correct in that it was kind of groundbreaking. I know that there were a lot of things they did in the movie in shooting the movie that were groundbreaking. I mean, from instance my dad had never been done like that before, um, in terms of special effects. So I stood in a cast, you know, they built a cast around me for eight hours. I stood, like, with stilts under my arms and no, straws up my nose. And then they, to, in order to do this, the shot of me getting hit by the bus. And and then they did what was called a camera lockdown. Well, this is a, a, a commonly used 
procedure now, but that was the first time it had been done the way it had been done to watch the commercials of the reaction, which those are the commercials for the movie were the audience, just, just the audience reacting to my death. I remember and that. And I was like, holy they're watching me. They're watching me, but they didn't show that, right? That's how they got people in the theater. And uh, Meet Joe Black, they, they copied him. I mean, it, it's well known in the um, special effects industry, and I still have people who work special effects on movies or shows I'm doing that come up to me and say, I stared at your dummy because they made two for, <laughs> like, three months of a session. Yeah. They're like, we learned everything about you while staring at you. I mean, I had this right. woman, she was speechless next to me on this little independent movie, and I'm like, I go, are you okay? She goes, it's you. It's you. And I was like, what? She's like, I stared at your dad for so long. Um, right. So that was really neat. And, and I know that it was a big, it was quite a big deal. And the movie went on to make tons of money. And as right. you know, Craig, Craig um, went on to do seven, I mean, he, he built an absolute mega, you know, brand off of right. that movie. Um, funnily enough, rented his house in the Pacific Palisades to my cousin, Mark Detmer. So that's how the world is small. <laughs> right. Well, you know, yeah. talking to you and, 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 you know, listening about how people are talking about your looks and your weight and all that stuff, it's a, you know, it, it took me a while because I was looking at your filmography. And, and uh, you know, I remembered every single time I saw you because, you know, to a certain extent, and I, I say this in the, in the best possible way, that, you know, you're that girl where you look at that person. You're like, oh, you're that girl. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, where where you see that That's person, right. but right, but every time you're on on a film, you popped. I mean, you popped. Um, so as as a filmmaker myself, I mean, it's very hard to you know not notice you. But tell me about your your experience in Big Fat Liar, because I mean you I mean you really play with, play with some heavy hitters right there, like Paul Giamatti and 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 uh, you know mm -hmm. even Amanda Amanda Bynes. And when you hear all those horrible stories about her, I mean, you knew her as a child. Oh, she was just lovely, and um, yeah. So my 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 experience of that, I will never forget the audition because they had been having a difficult time. You know, there was only a handful of girls being read for it, I think, to begin with. But right. they were having a hard time finding someone who could spar with him, with Paul Giamatti. And I was like, oh, I know what to do. I'm just going to stare at the middle of his forehead, and he doesn't scare me. But I was scared, for sure. Right. So I just looked in the middle of his forehead the whole time. So I didn't look right. at his face. So I didn't break. They're like, you don't break. You can't break. So, um, and then we went head to head. And he and I had so much fun of stuff that was ended up on the cutting room floor because of the rating of the movie. We didn't know what it was going to be. Um <clears throat> And Sean Levy, you know, I mean, God, I wish the man would give me a job now. Um, we were all so young, too, and so was Sean, young in his career. I mean, he'd been directing, I think, mostly for Disney at the time. Yeah. Look at him now. Holy crap, Sean Levy. Nicest guy ever. Paul yeah. is, a, is is so gifted and talented, sometimes a little He's bit He's amazing. Yeah, it, it took him a while himself also to catch on. I mean, a lot of people see his career as like an overnight <laughs> success, but really it took a – I mean, I think it was sideways with the film that, you know, people really noticed him yes. from. Yes, and, and, and you know, this, this Big Fat Liar wasn't exactly what he wanted to do, but it was a big studio film. 
And right. um, he just, it was so much fun. And I loved working with Sean so much. And um, what was I going to say about that one? So that's how I, I got the role. And in terms of Amanda, she was just a doll. She, I felt so, she made me feel so important because she decided I could give her acting notes and <laughs> wanted them from me because I had just come out of NYU. And right. so there's this whole scene where she's like, I'm going to whoop them up and I'm going to tear them into bits and turn them into mincemeat. And I gave her that line. And she was like, what's mincemeat? I said, it doesn't matter, honey. Just say it. It's funny. And she did. And it was hilarious. And it stayed in the movie. So <laughs> um, we had such a good time on that. She's just a lovely, lovely young lady. Really you know, I've always, I've always really loved her. And, and really, you know, I've, I've, I've watched her entire career. And it, it really was the end of an, a really horrible era of people not certainly not understanding mental illness or mental health. Mm-hmm. And it was really the beginning of people going like, wait a minute, you know, especially with Britney Spears. Cause I, I remember Britney Spears was literally a block away mm-hmm. from me when she, when she shaved her head. Cause I, yeah, I was in Tarzana oh, and she was that. literally right there shaving her head and, and you know, people were yeah. still picking on her. It's like, you know, there's a, there's a point where picking on somebody and, and abuse are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think I, I, I know that all actors, not all, I can't say that, but a lot of actors are the way that they are in terms of their gifts because they have an equal side to that cone coin that are uh, challenges. And right. so you can't remove all of those things without removing some of the gifts. Or you can do what you can to support and help and take care of so that they don't have to leave them all behind. Because right. I think a lot of us do things and make some bad choices because we're trying to quiet that voice inside that is the one no one wants to hear. Right. You know, <laughs> that if I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time, I'm emotional, I'm this and that. You do these things to quiet it so that you can only just people focus on your, your talent. And that right. doesn't work. Well, when you look at when you yeah. look at like mental mental health graphs now, and the things that a lot of psychiatrists, psych, psychologists, and, and and what have you, a lot of people in the, in the mental health industry, when, when they try to mm-hmm. like really inspire people to go, you know, and, and seek some mm-hmm. mental sobriety, I would just say, you know, they they put bring up Lady yes. Gaga, That's The Rock, good. and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people, you know, especially the creatives. Like we're we're like eighty percent have more of a chance, like seeing a therapist, than I would say, like you know, a, you know, a, a neuroscientist, a neurophysicist. We're and, more uh, allowed. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know? There, there was such a stigma back in like the nineties and the two thousands, but in two thousand twenty-two, okay. it's just an open field of, of people, and thank God, of people being able mm-hmm. and willing to understand. Uh, what we go through on a daily basis. Now you went from from these films, you know, which which are gigantic hits, to I mean, I would you know, every, everybody saw them in theaters. I'll say that much. Uh, the, you yeah. went on to TV. Now a lot of yeah. t- especially in this era, if you went from movies to TV, that was a that was your death sentence. Mm-hmm. So how did you how, how did you well, feel from going for like from movies to TV? Was was it was it a, a nice transition? Was it a tough transition? Well, I was, you know, I didn't 
didn't look at it that way. Um, I'm okay. not going to say I was ill-advised because I, I will say that my people let me do what I wanted, but I, I wasn't advised very much. But we're talking about, you know, the shows that I did were the shows to get, and they were offered to me. And I right. found it so gratifying to finally have people say, we want you. You. Right. We're not even going to read anybody else. So right. I, in being number one on a call sheet back then was, was, was great. The problem right. is they weren't hit. And then really? you get like, into a like the, men, like, the men, like the mentalist was not a hit? Is that what you're trying to say to me? No. no. Or like CSI no, was, was not a hit? <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was leads on pilots that never got aired, that okay. didn't get picked up. Right. I mean, so, like, this is a whole world that no one knows about. I've done 29 pilots as a lead right. in my career. Wow. Uh, been picked up, I think, 13 or 14 times. Had no hits at all. The longest-running show was What About Brian, but it wasn't a hit on TV. So then I right. got caught up in living a life, spending money, spending more money than I should have, and they paid a lot. And then your work doesn't get seen. So then you're like, well, this is all I've got now. I got to do another pilot. I got to do another pilot. It also, um, for 10 years, I did 20, I did 20 pilots in 10 years. So for, for those years, I was still in the business much sought after in terms of that, but slowly it doesn't get seen. And, and, And like I said, when I say, you know, we were picking the right shows, quote unquote, the right shows that didn't follow through. And JJ, I can't say that. I'm not going to say anything about J.J. Abrams right now. But, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm not Because you might be working with J.J. Abrams soon. Let's say, no, he's an amazing – yeah. <laughs> you might be working with yeah. him soon. So let's <laughs> I hope to God I do again. And all I will say is, and he probably would agree, his focus was elsewhere. He just was happened to be directing the largest film of his career at the time, which was Mission Impossible. Who wouldn't be distracted by that? Oh, Mission Impossible 3? Yes. Yeah. I, I watched he, that two he, nights ago. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he, I mean, I've seen it before. I saw it in the theaters, but that was, was the best Mission Impossible possible. It was. It was his foray into film, officially, you know, stamp of approval. Look at what he's done since then. So, so it was understandable, um, but these are the politics of what I have done. And you get in right. them and you don't. I, like I said, I didn't have any resentment. We were so happy for JJ. He was so freaking happy. And he did bring Tom Cruise. In his defense, he brought Tom Cruise to meet us one day, like to meet us. Like Tom wow. was introduced to us. And I was like, oh, my God. I, and this is after he jumped on the couch. And I was like, I don't care that you jumped on a couch I, anymore. I, yeah, I, I can die, I can I die now. I can listen to you all day long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, but, yeah. I don't uh, care if he. I don't care if he jumped on. I don't care if he jumped on a, on a no. couch. I mean, we're all we're all no. a little nuts. Let's be honest with each other. We're all nuts. And he's saying, "Nice to meet you, Amanda." And I'm like, "Thank you." Yes. Say anything you want. I will never leave your side. So um, <laughs> anyway, so I did a lot of pilots that never got seen. The work doesn't get seen. I still, you know, have done a pilot every year up until COVID point though i don't really get to pick and choose i sort of have to pray that i get one um well i don't i don't but, think that's gonna uh, i don't think that's gonna be you know you know your your 
written on your tombstone. I, 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 you know, I, I think the feature is just ahead of you because when I, when I look at your work, even now, when I, when I, because I've seen every one of your, your newer films, because I watch, yeah, I've known Sean for 18 years. So when I, when I watch your films at midnight, like Lady Driver and yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll watch a California Christmas and what have you, like, you know, like, especially the first one, and we'll talk about this in a couple minutes. Um, your, your, your characters, I mean, really the catalyst for the entire film. I yeah. mean, the film would not be the same film without your character. It just wouldn't. It would, it would be a, a paper mache of of previous films that have been made in the 80s you know but your character really is again so let me let me ask you a question you know before we go on to 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 your your newer films so it seems like a lot of the um films and and a lot of the shows you were doing a lot of the pilots you were doing it was almost manic like you were doing so much it it was almost like like feeding an addiction it was a feeding frenzy and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I mean, all I knew that the only thing this was the hard part for me back then. I haven't talked about this stuff in years, by the way. I must like yeah. you or something. I'm seeing your face. Jeez, Louise, that's a cathartic because I'm in a place in my life where it's time to said this um, because I happen to agree with you because there's no other way for me to think I'm ready. We'll talk about right. that later, but, but in right. terms of where I am and the place I am now, um, it was too much, too soon, and and yes, there were people protecting me, but I was also a little bit full of it pretty quickly. In terms mm. of, you tell me what to do, damn it. The only thing I can do is show up and work, and I'm going to show up and work, but you're not going to tell me all of the things that I have to do. So I was stubborn about shit I knew nothing about. <laughs> about stuff I had never experienced. And I see that. Wow. You see that with young people, you know, and it, it comes yeah. off like ego. It comes off yeah. like uh, difficult. Uh, I don't think I've ever been difficult to work with, but I think I was difficult at times to manage. Right. <laughs> right. If that makes sense. Right. Well, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, with, with all the shows and the movies that you did, I mean, I think, you know, especially being – you know, catapulted in, into the limelight. And um, I mean, a lot of people seeing you as beautiful, even though you didn't feel that way, um, you know, really, I mean, it really gives you a sense of self. Like fast, even though it's an illusion to a certain extent, it really gives you a sense of self and and allows you to behave in ways that otherwise you wouldn't act. So I, I don't think it's really a, a personal issue. I, I really think it's more of a a mirror issue where it's like what we say in psychology, like a mirror image where they almost propel you into that kind of behavior. Mm. Oh yes, It is very much. um, And I, and I see that now, but you know, um, one person, a very famous person, um, I was number two and he was number one and he pulled me aside one day and this is early on. And I feel like through my career, I've been graced with people who told me what was up as a flip side to sometimes not knowing where I was going. And it stayed with me, and I didn't understand it then. But he said, you're the leader here. You're the female lead. You need to welcome these other people. I was so busy trying to keep my head screwed on, I was appearing selfish and self-involved, which I am not. But because... 
it was too much too soon. So that often happened, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you're so right. But he's like, you gotta, you got to make everybody else feel comfortable just because you don't. you got to take charge, you know, and that was a notion that was completely foreign to me, and I, and I wasn't able to do it because it was too much. I, I, it, was, it was too much for me. It's not right. too much for everyone. Well, but, I, would, I would say that the yeah. time was, you know, it was the end of an era. And I'm getting to my next home right now, which is you, you and me and Dupree, which really is the, the, which really is the last, or like, I would consider the last rom-com. I think like almost yeah. created to a certain extent. I mean, right. after that, it was, you know, everything was light. But until then, it was really heavy <laughs> rom-coms. So, but you worked with some mm-hmm. gigantic heavy. You worked with, you know, Kate Hudson, Owen Wilson, Michael Douglas, Matt Dillon, which he's always amazing. Seth Rogen. I mean, you worked some Bill Hader. I mean, <laughs> come on. And yeah, you worked with some, some gigantic actors there. Uh, you know, where were you at that point, and, and how did you feel working on that film? I felt like it was my last chance, and then they cut me out of the movie. So um, the whole thing was just a huge disappointment. I worked really? with the Russo brothers. The Russo brothers directed that. That's right. Talk about Yeah, so um, they um, – I'm not going to discuss because it would be wrong because hopefully, like you said, I'm going to start working again big time. Oh, no, you will. You but will. There was, there was some, I, I think I will, but there were some decisions that were made based on a, a certain person's um, uncomfortability with being on camera with me. So, um, and that's just the truth of it. I hope that doesn't come back to bite me on the ass. Why, why, why is that? Uncomfortable being in person with you? Is it, it, were, were, were you dating this person? Is, is was that... No, uh-uh. Um, the level of competition is, it can be very fierce and cutthroat. Right. Um, but that being said, maybe that's not why I was cut out of the movie, but I was the fourth lead. I played Kate Hudson's best friend, and I ended up on the cutting room floor, floor every, literally every bit of my you're part. In the, you're in the, you're in the trailer. You're in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you're cut out of not, you're cut I'm out not. of the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, click, that's what we call and, clickbait. And, and, yeah, it was it was, it was um, disappointing, and it was a long time ago. You know, another one that like again, I I don't I don't know why I was cut out of the movie. All I know is it sucks for me because that would have been kind of a second jumping off, a second career, which right at the time who knows um and that's why we don't put too much importance on those things it was a disappointment everyone felt terrible anthony and joe felt terrible um <laughs> nobody felt as terrible as me but you know the explanation was and, and not not unheard of that michael douglas is more famous than you and we need to cut time off the movie and it's like well i can't argue with that <laughs> right right well there's well, also you know you are correct <laughs> well, with editing films and what have you, there, there, there is a, uh, there, there is a, a kind of a dropping off point with with editing films or what have you, where if it doesn't flow mm-hmm. properly, then you mm-hmm. you have to cut some of the the edge off and what have you. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't take away from the fact that one you pay, which is awesome as an actress or an actor at the very least. And then uh, the second one is that you got to work and be around some, some incredibly skilled okay. and, and power hitters, which right. is, which is amazing. And that happened. But, 
Yeah. And it happened. And I, um, oh my gosh. Okay. Here's a great story. I don't know if I remember this, but I also, again, I felt completely out of my league. I felt like I didn't belong. So maybe I didn't do myself some favors with that. I I wasn't very much of a bright light in that movie. I felt out of my league. I I was so starstruck the whole time, all the time. (laughs) But the first week of shooting was in Hawaii, and I'm walking to my trailer, and I open my trailer only it's not my trailer, and and Owen Wilson is in there with a towel, and he just sat down the shower, and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, and, he's like, and he goes, that's all right, it happens all the time, and I was like, oh, my God, and I feel like I never recovered from that moment. I just felt <laughs> I think there's worse things to, to bump into other than Owen Wilson and Natal. But, uh, yeah. Oh, that's, 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 I know, but I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed and horrified. I'm like, they hate you. He hates you. You're an idiot. You think you did it on purpose. You know, whatever. I don't know. I didn't have much interaction with him. Mostly it was with other people. And I also, Matt Dillon went to did I me and his manager went to dinner together and that was just like one of the highlights of my entire career was having yeah. dinner with Matt Dillon. I mean, like, Matt, so I you went out to dinner with Matt Dillon. So, I did. Well, cause I, not oh. as a date, like, um, I was so lonely and I said in the car sitting next to Seth, who want to go to dinner tonight? And, um, right. Matt goes, I'll go to dinner with you. And I was like, right. thank you, Matt. <laughs> And, so that's funny that, um, it's funny that you, you met Tom Cruise and then you work with Matt Dillon and those are the two like really huge jump off points for like the outsider film. Gosh, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would, I would still be as starstruck as ever if I saw them again, you know, I mean, they wouldn't remember me. I don't even think Matt would remember me, but um, even though we work together, but that's how I've always felt. Like would Kate even remember me? I don't know. I played her best friend. I, I, I just felt I don't, so not. I don't. I don't. I, I, I honestly don't really understand where some of your perspective comes from. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I've, I've really. <laughs> I, I've done like a hundred and sixty interviews, and I've known stars my entire life. I've worked with actors my entire life. I. I, I I'll be honest with you. I really kind of do not understand where you're coming from to a certain extent because <laughs> how how is somebody going to forget you? I, I don't get that. And it's just oh you were my god. To, I mean, you're you're kind you know, of unmistakable, and 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 or, or you know uh, you know once somebody sees you, it's it's really difficult not to unsee you. And once they hear you, you have such a specific presence that it's it's difficult <laughs> not to like have a fingerprint of who you are. And you, were, I mean, come on, you've been in such excellent things and worked with some well, some great people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's I'm what keeps you kind of grounded. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I'm going to try and embrace that, hey, I have been here, I have done this, and I am allowed to be proud of that. I um, I don't know. I, listen, I struggle with mental health, too. So that's yeah. part of the problem. And right. I have spent the last 10 or 12 years, you know, um, going home, even though it wasn't exactly the circumstances I wanted, going home to Chico to raise my son with my family and reconnect with my friends that I had pretty much failed on was the best, the single best decision I have ever made since right. I walked out of NYU. And, right. and, and say that I have done a tremendous amount of healing. I have had many ups right. and downs, but 
I belong there. And that's why I didn't go back because I still struggle all the time. We all do. Um, We all do. We all do all the time. But the way, the way in which I am grounded now is a way that would never have happened had I stayed in LA and I'm still a nutter butter. I'm still crazy as all get out. And, and, but in the best ways, and I am, uh, live a much more productive life than I was living, which was all for LA and the business. And now I live for my family. And I think that's going to be where my success lies. They come first now, they always will. And that's just the way it's going to be. And I'm not leaving Chico except to work, but I'm never going right. to put myself in harm's way again, ever. Right. So, Right. Well, yeah. that makes sense. That's safe. I mean, that, beautiful bubble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's I think that's why a lot of you know really great actors they they leave L.A. and they they move to like Montana or Texas. They just get out mm-hmm. of here and then they, they come back to Atlanta or or Canada, or L.A. film film, and then they get back mm-hmm. out of here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's beautiful. You know, I I got married this a year ago in November to a man that I've known for 20 plus years before we started. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And um, we have, you know, we have my son, I have a 12 year old son and he has an 11 year old daughter whose birthday is tomorrow, by the way. Happy birthday. Wow. Happy birthday. And uh, yeah. And we have a beautiful blended family. Her mother has become probably my closest and dearest friend, really my sister. And we, I feel so safe there. In fact, the first three or four days here, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm incapable of surviving outside of this world I've created. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. What am I doing? What have I done? I've left. I should have left. (laughs) Coming here to Arkansas has been like a series of unfortunate events, like one after another. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and karma, it's coming for me. You shouldn't have left. Go home. Go home. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. When you listen to your story, I mean, you were you were literally put into a cannon, stuffed in there, and then, I mean, hit out at like a three thousand miles per hour. I, I don't know many people <laughs> who would come out of there, you know, healthy as. I mean. You you've gone through your own uh, mixes like all of us, but you you came out pretty good. I'm telling you, because I don't know many people who could have handled that thing well. Thank you. Well, thank you. That that's important now because I really um, need to learn to navigate better. If uh, and when when you know I return, I I the wonderful thing is is how supportive my my husband is and how my family is in and it's the tough time you know 10 and 12 is the neediest time in their lives i feel like they're more right. needy than when they were babies like you know the right. minute i go <laughs> it's like where is she where'd she go what's going huh, i don't know what to do and <laughs> and i you know take so much pride in in being a mother and 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 the wife to them that um i've got to find a way though because i've kept these world bright and i realized that's the Probably the mistake I made in the last 10 years is I've kept them super separate, and I think I subconsciously right. needed. I've always worked enough. I work enough, but I, I wasn't. I'm either present there or I'm present in the other world, and I left that other world, and I haven't been present since. So. Right, right. 
I can. Well, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about. Yeah, oh no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the, the one thing I do I do like about this interview and yourself is that you're you're incredibly articulate and and self aware, which which a lot of people are, are you know they're 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 kind of away from that perspective. But yeah, I'll be honest with you, this this is the reason why I like audio, um, like mm-hmm. interviews, is that you you don't see my face, and we're able to have a conversation <laughs> and, and more willing to say things that you wouldn't say because if you look me right in the eyes, I think people you know uh, uh, you know other than maybe like. Uh, um, you know, a lot of these really great shock jocks and what have you, it's, it's difficult to look somebody right in the face and, and say certain things. Cause you're, you become a little more like, mm, maybe I should not say that. <laughs> but I let's, let's move that. on. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. yeah. I mean, how, Howard Stern, I think is the only person I know of that has the ability to like, just pull things out of people. And it's, it's, it's almost frightening, like his skill and ability mm-hmm. to do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. But you can't believe the so, shit people. <laughs> no, I mean he he got Ben Affleck to say some things, and it, it I mean it went viral like within like ten seconds, and and I, really? I heard so many yeah I mean and, and yes to the audience who's listening I watched the view so get off my get off my shoulders so but I, I remember when it was on there and people were like you know because a lot of those you know a lot of those presenters were on Howard Stern it's like well especially Whoopi Goldberg she's like well he has the ability to pull things out of you otherwise you would not say and. In the old days, it was like, you know, like the lead, like a lot of the, like Oprah Winfrey would have the ability to do that. But Howard, Howard, I remember it was um, a lot of models like, uh, I can't, like Paulina Poroskova and what have you in the older days. They were, mm. he was able to like be very charming and they were saying things like Cindy Crawford. I believe the Cindy Crawford interview was the thing that really blew yeah. me away, you know, because he really made her feel comfortable uh, he was very charming and, and not really – he was not a scumbag about anything. He was very charming. And she said things I, I've never heard a professional model say because she was like one of six of the biggest models in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's, well, let's move on. To... Go ahead. Go ahead. Nobody go wants ahead. what? No, you go ahead. No, no, no. Nobody wants to what? But nobody, nobody wants to reveal their weaknesses or the weaknesses of their job when they're at the height of their career. You don't want to right. take anybody down because then you'd be shooting yourself. God forbid, you know. Right. If we all told the truth, we probably all learn from it is all we do. And maybe our egos might get deflated a little bit. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. But you can't right. do that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, let's move no. on to Empire because, you know, I, 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 I love the show. And I've seen you on the show. And, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's really fantastic. So how was it like working on imp- – I mean, I know I'm saying this, you know, to certain – I say this a lot, like how was it like? But, you know, when you work on such a, a well-renowned, such a impactful show on, on mm-hmm. in the public eye and what have you, what is it like to be part of that experience, especially after maybe taking a break out of the limelight or what have you and then being shoved back into it? Well, I I was so excited to be on that show. Um, I and and my I think the best part of the story is how it came to me, and it was I hadn't had an offer in so 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 long, but it was an offer to be in a coma for three possibly four episodes, and I may say a line somewhere down the road, and then I may get to say more lines. Will you do it? <laughs> that was 
shit. And I said, right. hell yeah, I'll do it. What do, where do I sign? Let's go. And I had, now see, this is funny because then I do have confidence. I knew that once they let me start talking, it was going to go fine. It was going to go the way we wanted it to go. Hmm. So I went, I pretended to be a glorified extra and I laid in that bed and I kept my mouth shut. And, um, and then I started talking and when I started talking and I gelled very well with Terrence and very well with Taraji, um, especially on screen, um, then it was like, shut, they couldn't shut me up. I mean, it was such an amazing, wonderful experience because I felt, um, I felt validated again as an actress and mm. I got to watch some incredible performances. It was just really fun. Really, really fun. It's, it's really, I mean, I love that show. It's really a wonderful show. I mean, there's, you know, growing up, there were not a lot of, you know, black led films or black, black led shows. And this is like, this nope. is definitely one of those shows that is, I mean, I, I would say it's kind of like the catalyst for a lot of these new shows that are coming out, right? Like Blackish and what have you, or Mixish and what have you. It was, it was really in the yeah. forefront of of, uh, of of black stories. It was a hundred percent the first time we had seen a show be the number one show in the country and the world that was primarily black. No doubt right. about it. Suggestion, right. you know, because right. it came on before Blackish. I'm correct, right? Before Black. Yeah. It came in for black. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. It was a big deal. Um, and, and I think two of one of the most gifted and talented people on the planet. I, I mean, if, yeah. you know, you've seen Hustle and Flow, come on, Taraji and Terrence. And... Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny that you mentioned right? that. Yeah. You know, that, that's exactly where they come. Oh, Hustle and Flow is, I mean, she is an amazing actress. I mean, she, she's, she's been amazing. in some, like, like, like forgotten. I mean, she's been in some amazing films. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just saw her in, in one film where she played Virginia Watson, what have you, and, and, and those films are heartbreaking. But she, yeah, she's an amazing. Oh my God. She, yeah, she's fierce. She is fiercely, yeah. fiercely a, an actress. She works super hard. She is a consummate professional. When they say action, you better be right there for her because she's going to be right there for you. And that right. is the thing that I love so much. There is no hesitation whatsoever um, to her when when the cameras are rolling. And, and I feel that way about myself. So I felt very comfortable acting with, acting with her, you know. I remember, I remember when I first saw her, and I, I thought to myself, like, because she comes off as really, I mean, she's really strong, has a very strong personality. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I remember seeing her for the first time. I'm like, wow, she's kind of full of herself. And then I saw her mm -hmm. act. And I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, well, you have I that permission. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, I would too. It was like, you're incredible. Precisely. <laughs> right? I don't need to say it, but precisely. That's exactly yeah, like, what happened. Like, oh, like, I understand well, here. If I was Taraji P. Hansen, I'd be the same motherfucking way, okay? I'd be like, hey, listen to me. I am speaking now. You know, I'm we talking. should all have a little bit of Taraji I'm talking. Um, <laughs> she never behaved that way, but she, you know, yeah, that kind of fierce, fearless quality that we all should embrace a little bit of. We would all be right. better off if we had a little Taraji in us. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with you. So let's move on to you know because we're we're slowly running out of time. We 
we were very interested. We had the conversation. I don't know if I talked right. for hours. We could talk for four hours, I think. <laughs> yeah, very, very easily. Probably. But you know, yeah. Absolutely. So let's 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 get let's get into. Well, you're you've got a, a wonderful personality, and you have stories right in your, your pocket, ready to pull out there. And you're very honest. You're you're very honest, and so these these are the best guests you can possibly have. So you you tell us how you met your your Chico partner out there in out there. Well, Chico. Uh, Sean Piccinino, how, how did you meet each other? How did, how did I'm sorry, I just missed that last part. It cut out for a second. How did oh, how, seeing each other? How did you how did you how did you uh, how did you meet Sean and and how did that work out? Okay, I thought that's what you said. Um, so um, again, uh, I wasn't. Um, that was a time where I was having probably a lot of adjustment issues in terms of just who I was without being in LA and um, I hadn't worked in a while and um, but it was difficult at first you know there was a lot of positives but being at home was also you know had some challenges I don't know else to say that but um, I got a phone call did you, did you from say homeless agent. home no being home was challenging. okay oh, no, I, oh, okay I, I guess. <laughs> goodness gracious like, okay no, my family would never let that happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you have a whole family over there in Chico. I can't imagine that happening. Just go home with your family. No. I am incredibly spoiled by my family, and I'm so well-supported and so loved, and I'm so grateful. And not just my family at home, my brother and his wife, and she's a really big deal in New York, and and my niece. Everyone's always been super supportive of this aspect of, like, she's the actress. We have to do whatever we can to help her stay an actress. Like, so amazing. I'm so lucky. Hmm. So um, I got a phone call and from my agent. He's like, I don't know. Do you know this guy, Sean Petrino? And he says he's from Chico. And I was like, well, his dad directed me in like my first play at Butte College ever because I did theater. Even if I didn't go to school there, I did theater everywhere. Oh. And he, I said, Dad, that's, that's his dad. And he goes, well, they want to offer you this part. And I'm like, yes. Every time I heard the word offer, I was like, yes. Yes, I don't even care what it is, and um, and then I I get there and Christina Moore is in the trailer and Christina and I have never worked together. I worked yeah. with her husband, but she and I test opposite one another all the time, and she we're always auditioning opposite each other against each other, and hmm. we've always been friendly and that's not always the case. So I and I look at her and I go, oh my gosh, you're here. And she's like. Yeah, I hired you. And I was like, oh, my God. And I started to cry. I was like, but we compete against. Yeah, but I think you're great. I was like, oh, I love you. I love you so much. <laughs> so, <laughs> And she and her husband wrote it, and Sean was directing it. And she's like, and I thought it might be a good time for you guys to meet. So, in fact, you know, Christina is the one who brought it up, and probably Sean, too. But at the time, Sean was like, oh, I don't have much casting ability yet. I think he has more now, of course, but, um, yeah. and it was a, just a great time for us to meet. And, you know, our relationship has obviously grown exponentially since then as we've gotten to know each other. And I can be a little standoffish in bringing new people in because they make me, I'm terrified of people. And, um, hmm. so I, I, I don't think I would standoffish with him, but, um, I'm certainly, he's like a brother to me now. I, I just think I was 
you know, sort of insular doing that in terms of, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It was so fun, though. I just was so happy to be there. Mm. And, again, once the cameras are rolling, we laugh. Sean is hysterical. He is an yeah. energizer bunny, a thousand percent. Well, you were you were on Lady stopped. Driver, which, which is an was you know was a really nice film. I saw that at midnight as well. <laughs> and uh, well, because we talk about Christina Moore, she is an excellent personality. She's funny. She's clever. Yeah. You know, she works well with others, and she's incredibly creative. Um, yeah, I would see yeah. you two as like a as, as a as a punching duo. Uh, but so you went from Lady, you can play sisters easily, easily. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> So, so yeah. you enjoyed you enjoyed Lady Driver. You enjoyed being in that film. Yeah, it was super fun. And um, um, oh gosh, oh no, I'm gonna be terrible. Sean, um, Sean and I did a movie together years before. Okay. So, um, not Sean Piccinino. Um, why am I? Uh, I hate it. This the age. Sean Patrick Flannery. Sean Patrick Flannery. We did an independent movie called Kiss the Bride together years before. And, okay. um, <clears throat> you know, and he's transformed a lot since then. Those were our younger days. We were probably both a little bit cocky. And, well, he um, played, he played <laughs> young Indiana Jones, so I can see why he'd be a little cocky. Oh, he had reason to be cocky. In Powder, he was, was he not nominated for an Oscar? He was nominated. I mean, Powder. Yeah. I mean, the guy. But now we're older, right? And and it, that was what was refreshing. And with Christine, we are older now. We can be safe with one another. We have families. We have lives. And everything doesn't feel so important, you know. It's important in the moment to do the work and get the work done and have the most fun while you're doing it. But all that other stuff doesn't seem to matter anymore. So seeing him again was so fun. And he's, he's such a great guy and and damn, he's cute and built, and he's got beautiful children, and you know, <laughs> not hard on the eyes. And um, and they had created such a family, you know. They this is where I was kind of introduced to this amazing group of people. They, Christina makes Ali Ashbar is just like the most gracious man ever, and everybody loves him, and they can't say no to him. And he produces all these movies. You know, um, Christina and her husband, they keep doing movies and writing movies. It's like a rotation now. They've really got it. Right. Like, it's their own studio going almost. Right. So, um, I, I, I believe that uh, yeah, I believe the California Christmas City Lights is Sean's fifth, if not sixth film uh, on Netflix right now. Yeah. And he has a, another one coming out this summer. Uh-oh. Did I lose you? Did you lose me? Oh, there you are. He has another one coming out. Continue. In, in, in this work. In this so, I mean, it's, the machines keep on, it just keeps on moving. But I saw you in a California Christmas. And, um, you know, listen, if you haven't seen a California Christmas, then, you know, spoiler alert. It's like me saying, if you haven't seen Spider-Man, like, that's your problem, mine. <laughs> but, in <the> California, <laughs> but in the California Christmas, I mean, you play a pivotal character in that film. Like, that is kind of the, is really the catalyst for really the main character being the female, the main character to make decisions she otherwise wouldn't make because life is very short. So, mm-hmm. so tell me about mm-hmm. that character and how did it feel like to be, what is this, a stage four cancer patient? Um, yeah, I, I will tell you that it always becomes, you know, more intense 
as you're doing it. And I didn't want to think too hard on it because the movie is, I wouldn't approach it as, you know, in a way that I would as a total drama. And I think that was both what made it brighter and, um, and also just more uplifting that to try Mm. and find the other side of this terminal illness, which I think is probably often common and often uncommon. I mean, I think it goes both ways, but a parent who's trying to prepare your child for their death and not thinking only about themselves is uncommon, I think. I don't know. I mean, that I shouldn't say that, but because, of course, it's hard not to think about how are they going to be when I die? How's it going to go? What's going to happen? Well, those are all unknowns. So you have to try and fill it with knowns, right? I can do this today. I can smile today. I can hold yeah, I think them a, today. I think a lot of people are working on the survivability of their situation to, you exactly. know, oppo- opposed to, you know, I have a limited time on this earth and I better, but see, that's the difference between maybe stage three and stage four cancers. You, you know, uh-huh. the inevitable is going to happen. I mean, yeah. it's uncurable. So you know, it's going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I don't mean to say that. I, I feel like I said that a little bit wrong. I do not. I mean, you you have to focus on your recovery, and you have to focus on getting well because that's what your family wants you to do. But yes, that is right. the difference with stage four, and that's that's that it. Once that you know been sealed, it's been signed. Um, I, I can't imagine how hard it would be to be uplifting. I don't think I would be able to do it. Um, I'd just be devastated all the time worrying about my son or my daughter living their lives without me in it, you know? Right. So that was a challenge. It was a challenge. And it ended up being the reason all of us were always crying. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, there's a side to this that can be beautiful and can right. be com- of comfort. Right. And that was yeah, the challenge. You know, if you don't mind, I'll tell you a little personal story of mine. A, a close friend, she had stage four cancer, and and uh, you know, yeah, she's no. Her, her name was Kathy Fujimoto. She's no longer uh, you know with us right now. Um, but oh, yeah. around a little while ago, she came up to me and she's like, you know, Steve, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm like, okay. She's like, well, let me show you my my gram here. I'm like, what do you think? I'm like, well, I'm not a, I'm really not a. a an expert in any of these fields, but it, it looks like your cancer is spread all over. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm like, they, they've given me like two months and you know, she wanted to cure cancer, but it just was too late. She goes, I'm like, what do you want to do? She goes, well, I want to go to Mexico yeah. with my husband. I want to smoke some weed. I want to smoke some joints and drink some al- alcohol. And just, I want to watch, I want to watch like Van Halen. I want to watch uh, what's, what's his name from, from uh, Van Halen, uh, you know, played Cabo Wabo. Oh. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, oh, Sammy Hagar. I saw Sammy, Sammy Hagar. Thank you Sammy so much. Oh, he. <laughs> OU812, by the way, for all of you listening out, uh, out there, OU812, the Van Halen album. If you have not listened to that, you have not lived life. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a yeah. wonderful yeah. album. But anyways, um, she goes, uh, so what, what should I do? And I'm like, I would go to Mexico and I would go to Cabo Wabo and I go drink tequila, smoke some weed and hang out with my husband. That's what I would do. I, ah, that's so awesome. And she did, yeah. right? And that's exactly what she did. She had fun and she had some levity and then she passed away. And I'm like, you know, what are you, what are you going to say? 
you know, what are you going to do? I mean, she, she lived a life the way she wanted to live her life and, and she enjoyed it. And she went out the way she wanted to go out and she didn't have children of her own. So she, uh, she show, the only thing she was worried about were animals, were dogs, but uh, you know, she has her husband around mm-hmm. to, to solve that problem there. But, uh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things that puts life into perspective. So, you know, one of the questions I do have, you know, before we go into, you know, before we kind of close out here is, you know, maybe somebody who watched the California Christmas knows that you, you, you pass in that film. And it's, like I said, it's the mm-hmm. catalyst for the film for, for actors to act the way they, or characters that to act the way they do. You came back for a California mm-hmm. Christmas City Lights, and I, mm-hmm. I, I would argue that some people would be like, hmm, how is she going to come back? I mean, this certainly isn't Marvel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you did. That's what everyone said to me. They're like, I don't get it. And I said, it's filmmaking. Flashbacks, people. Hello. <laughs> so what's it like coming back to the, uh, you know, I mean, you had, I mean, I watched some of your interviews uh, for a California Christmas. Uh, not now, but at the time, and it was so impactful for mm-hmm. you. I mean, you, it was kind of solemn. And then you come back to that mm-hmm. character a little while later on. What, have you, what did you learn from that experience, and what did you bring into the second film? Did you feel any any difference, or did you feel any impact on the on the film that that you originally, you know, maybe didn't have or grown from that experience? Well, I'll, I'm going to be really honest with you, not to be a downer, but because um, I'm. I'm learning to talk about things. My father passed away two weeks to the day I shot that scene. And wow. I was, I would not have been there anybody else on the planet except right. for Lauren and Sean. And, and yeah. so I really had to grapple with that and not wanting to upset the balance and it being a very devastating and sort of sudden loss and really not great circumstances how my dad died. I finally decided to call Sean and I said, I've got to tell somebody cause I don't know if I'm going to make it through this piece. Right. And, um, and we decided to just keep that to ourselves and it in turn, Oh, first of all, made us bonded for life and to Lauren as well. And it ended up opening this door because I knew that it wouldn't be right to just go in there and cry through it which I think that I didn't have anybody who knew. But um, it was, of course, I feel a tremendous amount of love for all of these people. Coming back was the easiest thing in the world in the worst circumstance. So um, I think if if not for that love and support that is already entrenched in working with that group, I don't know that I would have made it through it, nor would it have been as kind of, I feel like that little tiny little scene, it was worth it, totally. I mean, I thought it was so, such a sweet written, and, and I don't know if Lauren told the story, but that's the speech that was given at her wedding to Josh, I'm telling you, really? about having a backpack with things in it. And I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but but not not exactly, but that, you know, you have to understand what you're getting yourself into, or at least know that you better accept it now if you want a long life, because that's what we do, right? I can't accept this. Oh, my gosh. First year of marriage. Talk about tough. I can't right. do this. I can't do that. That I can't do. I recognize that, and I don't ever want to see that again. Well, that's an inherent quality. That So I felt like it was very meaningful, and, of course, very meaningful, because it was hard not to think about my dad, and I loved my dad dearly, and he... Right. Always had. I'm finding 
the more I talk about him, the more I remember the awesome things he said to me throughout life, you know? So talking about it has really brought that about. So it was amazing. It was wonderful. I love it. I cannot wait to do something with them again. And, um, and I just, I don't know. I can't wait till it happens again. I I, I know exactly how you feel. I remember when my father passed away, you know, I I was working at certain jobs as well as being, you know, the creative. I was writing, directing plays in college and producing and Mm -hmm. directing other movies and what have you. But as soon as my father passed, I looked at that job. I'm like, yeah, that job's gone. <laughs> We're working, pu- you know, public yeah. service and what have you. Oh, I think I was working at Kinko's. I'm like, yeah, this, that's gone. No, we're done here. Yeah, we're done here. This, this shop is closed. Because <laughs> you know, I just remember, like, you know, when my father passed away, like, I locked myself in the bedroom because I, I just, I, for my brain, you know, and, and I, I'm opening it up myself here. I thought to myself, if I get out of this room and I go to a bar and have a drink, like, I'm genuinely going to look for a fight. Because I'm, I'm going to blame everybody and anyone for what's happening right now, and I'm going to look for an excuse yeah. to be a jerk. So I better just go into the room, handle my emotions, and then when, I, when it's all cool, leave and, and get back to work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. everybody handles, uh, everybody right? handles uh, you know, mourning different. You know, that's the one thing that taught me about my father's death is everybody handles mourning completely differently. It really right. is a snowflake. And, and it handles you differently. You don't know how it's going to take hold of you either. So, no. boy, no. am I learning that. You know, it's still pretty recent for me, and it really took a few months before I realized, you know, really sinks in, oh, he's not coming back. Like you said, everyone's different. So then that ride is like, it's literally like a ride right now. Um, right. I don't want to well, fight I, every second of it, but you can't ride right. it all the time either. you got to function. <laughs> Well, if there's anything I can tell you about my experiences, you have to forgive yourself for some of the behavior you have because it's really uncontrollable. It's 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 a it's a spout. It's a garden spout yeah. that comes out, and once in a while, you're gonna you're gonna wet somebody up, and you know it's like maybe you can make a, <laughs> an apology later, but at the moment, it's like it feels right. It feels it feels right, and like I said, it's yeah. a snowflake, and everybody handles it differently. And if they can't if they can't understand that then maybe they need to understand, you know, how that feels like. I, I, I don't know what else to say. But, you know, I, I appreciate the story. I appreciate you opening up about that because that's a, that's a very hard subject to discuss. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're running out of time, like, really, really fast. Um, <laughs> you, you, you and I, you, I mean, this is, I, I found that funny that you said, like, I, I can't talk for two hours. We can talk for three hours easily. Um but uh, let you me, just have you know, me back on. We'll we'll solve the world's problems for everyone together. We'll <laughs> I would I would love to, every couple of weeks. I would love to have you back on because you know I, I think you could really help out a lot of actors and actors. You know, a lot of actors out there that you know got shot through a cannon and and how to deal with that. And I think that's what you've really done on this episode here is really helped out a lot of people kind of understand. You know what, what you've gone okay. through. Some of some of the things that maybe you would have changed, but it was very hard to. And some of the decisions you made were just that were just dead on right for you and what have you. Which, uh-huh. if anybody's not proud of that, then I don't know what planet they're living on. But <laughs> what are, what are we looking forward to in your future? What, what do you do? You have any projects in, in the bin, or, or is there so, something mm. you're, you're looking forward to making? 
Um, I am super excited right now because I am in Little Rock, Arkansas. Maybe that doesn't sound exciting, but I'm here working with Linda Bloodworth and Harry Thomason. And Linda is the original creator of a really famous 80s TV show called Designing Women that I love. Started my love for Annie Potts and who I did a who I did a pilot with and 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 um, never aired. And my son actually spent his first six months of his life in her children's bassinet, which I told them after they hired me. But right. um, there's a little inside, which is so great. I, I believe that so, I believe um, designing women was was shown at the same time as Golden Girls and Just Shoot Me. Yep. I believe that was like the trio yep. that was out at that time. Yeah. Yes, it was. And um, super iconic. And so Linda wrote a play and they have done it before. They did it in Fayetteville. Um, and so this hasn't, this is a reprisal. We have some returning um, actors and I will be playing Mary Jo Shively, Miss Annie Potts role. And uh, nice. we've been in rehearsal a week. So it's super exciting. Nice. And I'm, I'm, I think this is going to be awesome. I have a classmate from NYU here. Um, I have a wonderful actress, again, much like uh, we like to talk about Christina Moore. Catherine Lanasa is in it. She's Julia. She's our lead. And I have, again, sat in so many rooms with her, but was always like, oh, she was someone I could talk to, someone who was kind, someone who made me feel comfortable. And I walk in and here she is. So um, we've never worked together. We've only competed against one another. There's no other word for it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I know. That seems, and that, so that, seems like, that seems like the, the, the female story is like, you know, we, yeah. we, we did get along, but we were, were in competition consistently with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And as you get older, and that is one of the great things that happens is we realize you're not competing with each other. You are you and it's either going to be you or it's going to be somebody else. So right. um, <laughs> that's refreshing, you know, like, duh, of course, you know, I, I always love it when I hear young people like boys and girls competing. Well, now that's changed, but let's say, you know, why are you competing with a guy for a role that is for a guy? And why do you think that has anything to do with you? But things have changed now. So that is actually happening, but, um, which is great. We don't know. I I, I hear that a lot that, you know, kids go in and they're like, I don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl or a, you know, them or they, or uh, so many so many terms we have to learn now. Um, but uh, and then I'm hoping to. Okay, this is my goal. But if I say it out loud, maybe I'll do it. I have an idea to do with Sean and the gang, and I have to write an outline. I have to be a good student, and I've been saying it for months, and I haven't done it. So oh, you got to do it. Little, my, <laughs> I got to do it because if I don't, I mean, this is what Lauren has. Lauren has inspired me. So greatly at her young age, um, and I'm not saying she is so much more a grown ass woman than I will ever be, and Josh, and and that she has just gra- literally grabbed the bull by the horns and mm. took took the ride and produced, and I, I just can't say enough good about her. And they are also truly, if you guys watch the movie. A California Christmas and a California Christmas too. They really are that in love, that loving, that wonderful, that uplifting, that joyful of people. And right, I, they, you know, they 
just so anyway, I've got a great idea for a horror and um <laughs> and I have the location. I have yeah. location. We like to do things for the location is free because then it, you make your movie look better. And that is, right. you know, the tiny little cabin in Santa Cruz, California mountains uh, that survived the fires. And damn it, I'm going to do it. There, I said it out loud. That already sounds creepy. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. So you know, it's already we, creepy. Totally scary. That sounds creepy. Totally. Especially after the fires in Santa Cruz, those things were horrible. Um, but let, let me oh, give you, you know, before we yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. What were you saying? No, no, I'm not saying. I'm not okay. saying. That. <laughs> okay. Before we close out, I, I, want, I want to ask you a hypothetical here. Um, so there's a there's a young girl in Chico who mm-hmm. sees your work, knows your work. You've never spoken before, but wants to be just like you. What, what advice would mm-hmm. you give that person? What advice would you give her? Um, knowing what you know, being shot through a cannon, having all these experiences, what, what advice would you give her in the field of acting, in the field of modeling, in the field of, uh, uh, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with talking about? What would, what would you tell her? Um, I would tell her to... Find a solid base, probably one she already has, and rely heavily on them to help guide you. And don't keep secrets, and and don't surround yourself with people that are going to make you feel sure about who you are, or remind you of who you are when you can't remember who you are anymore. And people around you in general are not to be trusted. If I could, I'd hold that little girl's hand and walk her through every single door down the road. If I could go (laughs) back and have that, I would have done that for myself. And, and that's, you you need someone who's safe and make, and is safe for you to protect you. Right. Well, Um, Amanda, you know, that's, I mean, that's the next one answer. I mean, to, to have the ability to have somebody guide you and protect you. I mean, you have that maternal instinct, which is, which is fantastic. And I, I think a lot of people appreciate what you, what you had to say today. You know, this is the moment where I'd ask you, you know, like, give me your social contacts, but I, I think it's impossible for people not to know who the heck you are. They can just Google you and, uh, you know, you're Instagram, Facebook, right? You know what I mean? It's a man, it's a man of death bar. I mean, give me a break. You can just Google it, bro. So, oh my goodness. Well, you know what? I do need more followers. More followers will help me get more jobs, apparently. I'm trying to do social media. So so give give me your social outlets. Let's hear your social outlets. I I only do Instagram. So, um, and I, I post a lot with my family, and I post a lot of my regular life, which I think is cool, and it's my life. But uh, it's Amanda underscore Detmer on Instagram. Please follow me. I, I would Share suggest you. I, I would suggest you go on, on TikTok. I, I really would because Sir Anthony Hopkins is on there. So you're no, you're in good really? company. And there's yes, yes. I watch well, him play I the, the piano. They, oh my gosh! Well, I tell my children they can't go on it. So I, I guess I don't know. I guess I can do it. I don't. Well, want they're not. TikTok, right? I mean, they're not allowed to because it's a, it's a crazy place for young people. But I mean, it's. it's a, yeah. I mean, I remember. You know, I say this every single time, but I remember years ago I asked a friend of mine. I'm like, oh, so do you have an Instagram? And she goes, What do I look like? I'm 13 years old. And now everybody has Instagram. Yeah. 
And now I ask people, I hey, do you have TikTok? And they're like, what do I look like? I'm 13 years old. And I'm like, shut up. Like, I, I watch videos on, on cats and I watch mukbang, which is people eating food or talking about restaurants. And I talk about like, they talk about movie reviews. I mean, yeah, you have the occasional girl dancing and, and what have you. But I think the platform has moved so far beyond that perspective that it would be idiotic. I, I think it would be plain out... Um, um, ignorant to miss a platform that has literally billions of people watching it. Um, and especially with what the personality. Just, what do I, I mean, do? I, I, would, I would think about a format. I would write it down. I would discuss it with your husband. I would discuss it with somebody involved with, you know, film like Sean or whoever. I mean, anybody you're, you're connected uh-huh. to who you can just discuss it with and say, what am I going to do? I would also watch it Alicia Silverstone's um, uh, TikTok as well. So watch her TikTok, and I, I think you, I, yeah, I think you can mimic that really easily. And that yeah. she gets millions and millions of views. And it, I mean, if you're telling me right now you want people to watch you and you want more parts, I mean, I mean, there is no bigger platform right now than 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 okay. TikTok. I mean, yeah, you if you go to Facebook, uh-huh. I mean, that's that's where I go to, to talk to my mom. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Like seriously, yeah, no, I'm not joking. Ever and I've never done any of this. Even when back in the day, I never did Facebook. I it terrified me, ignorant about it. But I literally, you're probably right. But I, I'm that person who's like, oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. And yeah, now don't, I'm don't like, be, oh, don't be it. that person. Yeah, don't be that person. I got. I don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah, don't be that person. Yeah, go. Just make an account. Watch a bunch of actors, um, and and then figure out what you want to do. And I, I'm sure you're gonna be fine. But don't be that person uh, because you have a lot to say you've got an excellent personality uh, people want to hear you talk you've got a great resume so people want to have it give you give it have advice they want to know how to get where you're at they want to know like what are the pitfalls to to it's the exact same thing we're doing on the show right here you you showed me a little insecurity Mm -hmm. you know about talking for two hours you did i mean come on give me a break i mean you were the truck (laughs) that was going down the hill i mean you know what i'm saying it's like come on I mean, at some point you have well, to know. <laughs> I, 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 yes, I, I am aware that if I feel like someone wants to hear what I have to say, then you can't shut me down. You can't shut well, me up. So that's what you have done well as an interviewer, and I appreciate that for making me feel so comfortable and and just enjoying my, you know, my 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 repartee or whatever it's called it, it's uh, been lovely it's been a great interview well, I, I, i've had a I'm great looking, time i'm looking for, i appreciate it. i'm looking forward to you i don't think don't compliments well so that's why i kind of cut you off right there i'm like uh, see, but, yeah, know, I, see? <laughs> well you know uh, <laughs> but uh, you know listen, yeah, i can't listen, wait to see you're all sitting giggly now like a little school girl i get you know, it I, that's I just know how to skip the. I just know how to like flip the conversations, like flipping a page on a book. Mm-hmm. Like next, mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> we can't wait to have you on TikTok. We can't wait to see, but we can't also wait to, to see your future projects. You, you have an excellent personality. You have a really, really uh, striking resume and and a really great story to tell about about where you came from, how you traveled that distance. The pitfalls that you did you skip, some of the pitfalls you fell into, and where you, where your future mm-hmm. career is going to go. 
It's been an amazing interview. I've really loved spending this time with you. It's it's really a pleasure. Let's do it again sometime. Hey. A hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> Great. So, so let's let's give you. So Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show. We 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 so much appreciate you you and your time. We're gonna give you a clap out like we give everybody else. Here here's a okay. here's a crowd right here. Yay! Yay! You have yourself a great day, and really thank you for being on the show today. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye, everybody. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Bye. So that was, that, that was fantastic. I, I really, really enjoyed I really, really enjoyed that. You know, it's, I, I, I've really enjoyed every single interview I've ever done, but some people, they, they really shine. Some people, they... they they, they not only are the personalities that you want them to be, but they share information that, that touches you in a way that makes you think of, of other things as well. The, the mixture of personality, the, the difficulties of existence, as well as, you know, how to grow from certain successes and failures. It, it takes a certain introspective mind it takes a certain personality type, it takes a certain brain capacity for somebody to go through so much in their life and have the ability to articulate all of the drastic changes, all the drastic movements that they made throughout their life. That was, that was really a wonderful time. There is very few people in the world that can really articulate or are, are open to articulate their experiences the way that Amanda Detmer was. Such a pleasure to have her on the show. From the very beginning of her career, doing plays in a, in a bar at 18 years old, some of them with her father. That's really interesting. It reminds me of the Blues Brothers. To being on a TV movie, to being on short films, to being blown away and... In, in, Final Destination, and if you haven't seen that film, it really is a, a rock-solid film. The Saving Silverman, I mean, CSI, I mean, we just, we can talk about every single TV show and movie that she's been in until the cows come in, from Empire to A California Christmas, by the way, that or Lady Driver, but A California Christmas that's right now on Netflix. It's amazing to see her growth as a human, as an actor, as a woman, as a person, as a human. She was very forthright with us, and, and that's always respected highly. I really do appreciate all of you out there for listening in from Turkey to Spain to Chile to Peru to England to New Zealand to Australia. Just type in Amanda Detmer into your Google, <laughs> and you'll you'll immediately see a thousand pictures, a th you know, fifty videos, and you'll see it all. And just go contact her, go see her on Instagram, and soon TikTok. If I have to text her every single day to get her on TikTok, I will. This is somebody to absolute support, a hundred percent. And people here listening from Russia and Alaska. And I'll tell you something really quick, you know, it shows my ignorance. I, 
I have to think, do they know English? <laughs> of course they know English. There's millions of people out there. I just wish I spoke Russian or whatever language. So uh, I can do it. I, do a, I can do a show on every language. But listen, before we go, if there's anything we learned from Amanda is that life is very short. And it happens incredibly fast. It's not a car, it's a bullet train. Love yourself. Respect yourself. Take care of yourself. Physically, mentally, spiritually, take care of yourself. Be self-aware. When you see a change that needs to happen, make it happen. And after her father passing, and thank you for sharing that, Amanda, you know, life is short. Love the people you are with. Love yourself. That was a great interview. I'm very happy and very uh, glad that Amanda Detmore joined us today. My name is Steve Pisa, and this is Cinema Files Radio. Every one of you have a fantastic day, and be good.